What's up, everybody? This is Mike Isicki, tight end for the Miami Dolphins, and welcome to the All-Star Sports Podcast with your hosts, Gabe and Rafi. Hello, hello, and sorry we haven't been able to put out an episode um, these past this past week, but um, we've had some stuff going on, so we weren't able to. But we're back, and we're going to start off um, talking about the conference championships games. Um, the Buccaneers beat the Packers 31 to 26, and the Chiefs beat the Bills 38 to 24. Gabe, you want to start off um, on the Packs Bucks game? Uh, yeah, Packers Bucks. Interesting game. Tom Brady was his third playoff win this season on the road in a tough environment versus the Packers. And the biggest takeaway I have for this game is Matt LaFleur and his awful play calling in the I fourth mean- quarter. Look, Matt LaFleur is a great coach, and he has been a great coach this year. He made one terrible call. It's fourth and goal, and they're at, like, their own 10. They're at the nine. Um, they're at the nine, and they were down by a touchdown, I believe. They were down by, like, nine or ten. They were down by two possessions. Oh, so they, they're down by two possessions, and um, – They were down by eight. Down by eight. Yeah, they were down by eight, which is what I thought. And – um. They kick a field goal. Which does nothing. Yeah, which does nothing. Yeah, it makes it so if they score another touchdown, they win. But with that much time left, the odds of them getting another touchdown are very low. And I don't understand that logic of them not going. Right. I don't understand the logic of putting trust in a defense that has been incredibly inconsistent this entire season and has not looked good the entire game. Yeah. And there's not that much time left, so – Right, like even if they do get it, yeah. Let's say the three and out. Stop. You know, you got what twenty seconds left to drive down the field. Right, even if it's Aaron Rodgers, that's incredibly difficult to do. Yeah, um, but like, I don't get your decision, right? Well, okay, I've one thing on that third and goal. Aaron Rodgers should have scrambled that football. Right, it looks like he had a wide open hole running out of the pocket up the middle. But he kind of forces a pass to, I think it was Devontae Adams in the middle of the field, who was double-guarded, who's being double-guarded all game. He, he forces a pass. Aaron Rodgers looks like he has a hole up the middle to at least try and make a dive for it. Uh, just, I don't get why Aaron Rodgers doesn't run the ball. I get that you haven't been able to throw it to Devontae Adams all game because he's been double covered. I get that he's your number one guy. I get that you want to target him. Sometimes you just have to take over. I don't know. I think he doesn't score a touchdown there and he wanted to, but in a, I think here was his here. This was his logic in general on that type of play. A lot of coaches would say you get five yards here, set up for an easier fourth down. But the reality is, I think you have a better chance of scoring if you take two shots at nine yards than one shot at four yards. Yeah, I agree. And so I think he was like, I want to do this. I don't want to get um, five yards here and then try to get, a, you know, fourth and goal from the four. But I do agree that at that point, it might have been the smart move to run. And he also might have been protecting himself. I'm sorry, but you can't be worrying about protecting a minor injury when you could be going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I agree. Right? It's the NFC Championship game. Get a minor shoulder injury that 
puts you not at 100% with the Super Bowl, I don't care. Yeah. Um, so, going on, I'll say this. Everyone said, you know, the Packers are favorites. I don't know one. I know I, I'll be honest. I know one person that predicted the Bucs were going to win besides me. And everyone said the Packers are obvious favorites. And I said the Bucs are going to win because that defense and Tom Brady. People didn't believe me, and I was right. It's the Bucks defense outmatched the Packers defense. I, I just want to say I predicted the Packers to win, but I did say it would be an incredibly close game. Okay, okay, okay. But um, another person who cost the Packers this game, Kevin King. He was burnt three different times in the end zone. Yeah. He gave up three touchdowns, including the game series. Well, that's what I said. Packers, the I mean, besides Jair Alexander, their two best corners are Kevin King and Josh Jackson, who are fine corners, but like, well, Kevin King a, definitely didn't look like a fine corner in that game. Yeah. Um, but, um, and so, um, listen to this stat now Tom Brady will have been in 48% of Super Bowls since he joined the league, which is crazy. Then right. He's an even crazier stat. Since Super Bowl started in um, nineteen sixty seven, I believe um, Tom Brady will have been in eighteen percent of all Super Bowls. Right. That that's just wild. Yeah, I mean ten Super Bowl appearances. That is um, like I, just such an insane stat. I can't even put words to it. Yeah. Right. Um. So then, Aaron Rodgers had a great year. I think he'll be the MVP. But as I predicted, came up short to Brady. Aaron Rodgers is the better quarterback now. Brady's the goat. Um, I agree. The Buccaneers have a great defense, which I think won them this game. Um. And yeah. And one thing is Tom Brady's playing well again. Tom Brady. It's the playoffs. Everyone expected Tom yeah, Brady. Yeah, I know. To play. Tom Brady's a good quarterback. And it wasn't. It's not like just the playoffs. These last, the last like yeah. six weeks of the regular season, yeah. he's on fire. One thing is, Leonard Fournette has become their every down back. This, despite Ronald Jones rushing for nine hundred seventy. Uh, I don't get. Yeah, Ronald Ronald Jones is incredible. Rogers, I love I Ronald think, Jones. I think Leonard Fournette is better. For, first of all, Leonard Fournette is a better receiving back. Yeah, and Leonard a, Fournette's an interesting player because most of the time, receiving backs are more elusive, fast backs. Right, but he's Fournette, a power back. Leonard he's Fournette is one of the few players in the NFL that's a receiving back, but is like a power back. Right, he's a he's a big, strong guy, but he's also great in the passing game, which is scary. Right. Yeah. I see your thinking behind putting in Leonard Fournette over Ronald Jones, considering he's more versatile in the passing game and he's way more experienced. I just, I just have to say, I really like Ronald Jones' play style. I think he's a great NFL. We're going running back by committee. There's a reason for most of the year, Ronald Jones was their guy. Past couple weeks, Ronald Jones hasn't been doing as well, so they're giving it to Fournette. They're going, that's what running back by committee is. Right now, Leonard Fournette's the hot hand, so they're going to give it to him. Right, that's the beauty of having two running backs that you can trust in the NFL. Yeah, which so, the Giants do not have. Just well, the Ravens have that because the Ravens have. Call me crazy, the Ravens have two top fifteen running backs in the NFL. But um, 
I would not call Gus Edwards a top 15 running back in the NFL. Gus Edwards is a whole lot better than Wayne Gallman. I never said he wasn't. Um, even though Wayne Gallman's pretty good for a backup. But um, one thing about a weird thing is Marquez Valdez-Scantling is not a great receiver, and he just has these random good games. Like He's, so, he's such a strange player, yeah. He'll have these games. Like, I saw a stat line for a game. One game, he had, like, 100 yards for two TDs, and the next day he had one reception for negative four yards. Right. Like, he, he, he's so inconsistent, but he's so strange. Like, this game, he had a great game. He had 115 yards for one TD, and then he'll just have games where he does, doesn't get one reception. Right. He's such a confusing player, right? Like, and uh, well, it was a couple of weeks ago. I think they were they playing the Lions. They're playing the team where they had a big lead and they choked it and nearly lost to a bad team. I think it was the Jaguars or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it was the Jaguars. Marcus Babas Scanling had a horrible game. He had like three drops and like one reception or something like that. And then in the biggest game of the year this year, he popped off. I don't know his exact stat line. Don't have it in front of me, but he had he had one deep touchdown and a, a few very important catches. He's just so confusing to watch. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, I think that happens a lot with deep threats. Um, um, but his is just to the extreme. So yeah. now moving on to Chiefs-Bills. Obviously, the Chiefs beat the Bills 38-24. to um, One thing is, I'll say, the, I'll, you know, I'll start off with the Bills here. The Bills have a terrible running game. That's yeah. Like, I was gonna say the they, same thing. They don't run the ball a lot, but like, what did Devin Singletary have like twenty-seven yards right. or something? They, like, they don't have a good running game. They and there's a they don't run the ball a lot for good reason. Like Devin Singletary just isn't that good. And one thing is, um, Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs had pretty good games. Stephon Diggs had um, six receptions for 77 yards, which seems like a pretty good game. But, but not, yeah. For Stephon Diggs. That's not when you're the NFL leader in receptions and yards. Yeah, and then Cole Beasley. Um, I mean, he played through a broken leg. Yeah. You can't, then, right? Like, I know, but Cole Beasley had seven receptions for 88 yards, which is good. Um, right. Cole Beasley is one of the most underrated slot receivers in the NFL, in my opinion. One of the best slot receivers in the NFL. Yeah. And, thing is when you have that bad of a running game your passing yards need to be better than that though right I think like, I think you're not gonna win with that right this game went how many people thought the game would go the Bills had the worst formula to go against the Chiefs of any team they have seen this postseason right when you're playing Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City Chiefs want to keep Mahomes off the field by running the football yeah, and keeping possession time. But the Bills can't do that. Exactly. That's why they – you, you can't blame them for not trying to do that because, like – They tried, but they, they just do, they don't have the running backs. So, like, and you can't blame them. And Patrick Mahomes by now is just too good to be beaten. He'll lose – I think, you know, every year he'll lose one or two games a year. But, like, in general, he's going to – He's just incredible. Yeah, he's just all just anytime I watch Patrick Holmes play, it's just in awe. Yeah, it's. I mean, listen, this Tyreek Hill had nine receptions for 172 yards. 
in one game. Right. And Travis Kelsey is a tight end. He's not a wide receiver. He's a tight end. And he had 13 receptions for 118 yards and two TDs as a tight end. Yes. I think when Travis Kelsey retires, he will be the greatest tight end of all time. I mean, I don't know if you can say that over Gronk and Tony Gonzalez. I, I think he will. I think with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, he will. If he stays with the Chiefs. Okay. But he's not an extension this offseason. Their team is kind of like one-dimensional from receiving. Don't get me wrong, Tyreek Kill and Travis Kelsey are great. And I'm, say, I'm not saying they need anyone else because when you right. have receivers that are so good, then it's like that. But I think they have two other pretty good receivers in Sammy Watkins and Miko Hardman, but they didn't do anything, and they don't do anything a lot of the time. They don't need to do anything. Yeah, exactly. They're kind of just there, right? If, I'm, if I am Sammy Watkins or Miko Hardman, I am extremely happy with how, with yeah. how I'm doing in the NFL. I don't think they're going to have to be a real wide receiver one on any team, right? Yeah, but yeah. They, they get paid, I don't know how much money, they get paid probably about $10 million a year Yeah. to, to be targeted six times a game, maybe, maybe, yeah. and be on a championship team. I mean, yeah, and also the Chiefs defense played a good game. I mean – Legarius Sneed, who was a cornerback picked in the fourth round this year, and he's yeah. he has he's been great, been great in the playoffs. Yeah, um, Legarius Sneed, you know, has been one of their best defenders in the postseason, if not their best. And he played well again, holding Diggs and Beasley to seventy-seven and eighty-eight yards. And then also, you had um, you got um, you got Frank Clark with two sacks. There's a good game. And, I mean, the, in all, you know, the Chiefs held the Bills to 24 points, which is pretty good. Yeah, I think, yeah, Bills played a decent game, but the Chiefs are just too good, and the Bills do not match up well whatsoever versus the Chiefs. I think this game just yeah. – anyone who said the Bills would win, you're delusional. So, moving on – Wait, I just want to say one more thing. I want to shout out my dad – who in the beginning of the season predicted a Buccaneers Chiefs Super Bowl. Yeah, um, one of my I friends, just want I just want to say that one of, one of my friends predicted that exact same thing in the beginning of the year. He predicted, um, Bucks. He predicted um, uh, Bucks Chiefs in yeah. the year. Um, so moving on to this next Super Bowl, um, uh, um, but the Bucks. Will be the first team in the Super Bowl era history to host their Super Bowl that they're playing at, and so it will be like a home game for them. Right, we even if there's them, only like twenty-two thousand fans, but a good chunk of them are just medical professionals. But it's, it's seventy-five hundred, but they're all from the Tampa area. Exactly, so there'll probably be a bunch of Bucks fans there. Right, and, um, yeah, it'll be like a home game. Even though they're hosting it and the Bucks have a better defense than the Chiefs, I just don't think they're going to win. I mean, the yeah, Chiefs, I agree and, and it's Tom Brady in the playoffs, but the Chiefs are just too good to lose. Right. Super Bowl, it's all my birthday this year. I'm very excited for it. I get a good matchup, but I'm, I, no one's beating Patrick Holmes. Um. So I'll say I think if I made a score prediction, I think the Chiefs will win thirty-five to twenty. Um, if I, 
my my score prediction is Chiefs win twenty eight to seventeen. And Chiefs defense steps up. Well, what I saw is last year. Um, okay, so first of all, I was thinking. So last year, the Niners against the Chiefs scored twenty points. I gave the Bucks twenty points, not because the Niners scored that, but I said I think the Bucks are getting two touchdowns and two field goals. And that's 20 points. And then the Chiefs, I just figured last year the Niners held held them to 31. And the Niners last year are 20 times better defense than the Bucks this year. So I think they're scoring more than 31. And I think they get 35. And the Chiefs offense is probably better this year. So. I think it'll be a different style of game. I have Chiefs 28, Buccaneers 17. So I think Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey will play great. I also think I, I think Brady and Evans will play great, but I think the Chiefs are going to come out on top. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. So why don't we move on here to our next segment today, which is our own Hall of Fame ballots. Happened this past week. No one was inducted into the MLB Hall of Fame for the first time since 2013. No one reached the 75% mark you need to hit to be inducted. So... We have made our own ballot. And Rafi, why don't you start us off here with so, your first player? Before I start, I wanna I want you to understand this. That I have ten people on my ballot, and obviously that's more than anyone ha- would usually have, but here's my understanding of this. I think that this that at one point they should just have a year where they just quietly induct all the steroids players in. And so basically I put that as this year and I put the steroids players that I think deserve to be in, in. So in general, I'll have like a normal year would be six of these guys plus four steroid people. So I want you to take that into account when I'm saying this, but I'll start off with, I think the person that deserves it the most, except for maybe Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, but that's Kurt Schilling. Um, Kurt Schilling, a lot of bias against him because he is a terrible person. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, you look at Kurt Schilling um, and hold on. Uh, yeah. So you look at Kurt Schilling, you know, career ERA of 346, which for a starting pitcher is great. A couple mm-hmm. years there were, you know, 295 ERAs, 297s. In 1992- um, he had an ERA of 235. Right. Insane. And obviously, he's most known for the bloody sock. Right. I was going to say his most notable point of his playing career was the bloody sock game. He was with the and Red Sox in 04. That just pisses me off. The Orioles are known for having these players like Jake Arrieta and, you know, even Wade Miley and people like that that are just terrible pitchers for the O's and then go on to other teams and do well. Jake Arrieta had like a five ERA for the O's and then goes on and obviously does great with the Cubs. Something people don't know about, Kurt Schilling's first three years in the MLB were on the O's. I did not he, know that. Did he, he was, did he make major league appearances with the O's? Yes. Listen to these stats. 1988, an ERA of 982. 1989, an ERA of 623. He then goes in 1990 and has an ERA of 254 for the Orioles. Then we trade him to the Astros 
has an ERA of 381. Of course, he then starts doing well, has an ERA of 220, 235, spends a bunch of years on the Phillies with some great years, goes to Toronto. The, the crazy thing is, I think his most known game is on Boston, but he's not a right. Red no, you know, Phillies, um, you know, Phillies, he's really a Philly. And then right. he'll always be remembered as, rem, remembered as a Red Sox for a lot of people yeah. simply because of that game. And, you know, it just pisses me off that Kurt Schilling was on the Orioles. Like, it's just our pitching coaches are terrible. Now, to be granted, it's not like our pitching coaches then are the same we have in the Jake area. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. He was on the O's, you know, five years after we had won the World Series. But still, you know, it's just we always do this with pitchers. But he, he had a he ended up with a career ERA of 346, a career rip of 1137. And he's just a great player that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I also have Kurt Schilling on my ballot. I'm going to focus on someone else, and that is Barry Bonds. He ruined the game of baseball. He's well, a, well, he didn't ruin the game. He, he's well, a harmful to the game of baseball, but he, he was arguably the person most helped by steroids in their entire career. However, he had a great career before steroids, Two-time MVP with Pittsburgh Pirates early in his career. But looked like he was on track to be one of the better players of all time. But let's be real. He's not on this ballot because of what he did on the Pirates. He's on this ballot because of what he did while No, he I know. I just – I mean, People deserve I'm, it. I'm saying. I, I believe that the steroids people deserve to be in when they're good enough. Like I said, I have some steroids people on here. You look at – my, my, my thinking of steroid using is if you had – Many successful years before you started using steroids, or when you weren't using steroids, like someone else I have on my ballot, Roger Clemens, you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, um, here's what I'll say I don't know if it's just that, in my opinion. It's also just that, like, you can't just be good because of steroids. Right. So you still have. Had- so many people in MLB history have been caught taking steroids. Those and people, were horrible. yeah, those people did not. Uh, those people did not hit 762 career home runs with a career OPS of 1051 and right. a, career, a career slugging percentage of 607. Right. It's not like you take steroid, your balls shrink, you're suddenly good. It's you take steroids. But you still have to have incredible vision. Yeah. You still have to have. And the one thing is steroids does help you not get injured, which definitely helps you for the amount of plate appearances. Right. And and getting to 762 home runs. Right. And helps you with the longevity of your one career. Thing, one thing that's crazy is people have this notion that there are no steroids people in that in that Hall of Fame. And that's just not true. There, yeah. there are steroids people in the Hall of Fame that people liked enough that they still got it. Craig Biggio took steroids. He was too he loved it. by the city. He he was too loved by the city of Houston to be, you know, what we would call today canceled. Right. You know, and so I think Barry Bonds definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, obviously, seventy three home runs in one year, beating someone else who took steroids, Mark McGuire. Right. Um. But yeah, obviously, his best year was that was that year in 2001 where he hit 73 home runs, batting average of 328, on base of 515. Think about that. When Barry Bonds went up to the plate, 
he got on base more often than not. Right. A slugging percentage of 863 and an OPS of 1379. Again, granted, wouldn't be having those numbers without steroids. Still would probably be good numbers over the course of his career. Obviously, his best years were on the Giants when he was taking steroids. He will he, even even so. I know people that say he's still the best player in MLB history, and I don't think he's the best player in MLB history because he took steroids. Um, mm-hmm. But he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and he puts up these numbers. If no one knew he took steroids, he'd be, without a doubt, considered the best player in history. Easily. The so best is, Right. I mean, I'd say the best athlete in history. Obviously, you can't compare, you know, baseball and basketball numbers, but I'd take but Barry Bonds over Tom Brady or Michael Jordan. if we Simply didn't. off of stats? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible, right? Like, but very clearly used steroids, which – ruins his case for a lot of our voters. You can just look at a skinny picture of him on the Pirates and then a picture of him on the Giants and his head has grown twice as large. Right, you can't, your your head doesn't grow with the rest of your body at the age of 39. Well, there's a really funny um, SNL skit of um, the whole Barry Uh, thing. The sports center guy is like, um, exercising doesn't make your head grow 20 times. Uh, doesn't make your head grow twice as large. And Keenan Thompson as Barry Bonds goes two words: brain exercises. <laughs> but um, yeah, but I... yeah, definitely not. He definitely didn't do too many brain exercises to right. get a head that big. But my next guy is Roger Clemens. And what I'll say about Roger Clemens is, out of all the steroids people, he deserves to be in the least. And here's yeah, my reason I... for that. My reasoning for that is that the thing about Roger Clemens is he did have a lot of years. Like, he had a great start to his year, to his career. And just this is the same as one person I have later on my list, which is he did have um, a great start to his career, you know, some years with two nine with really good ERAs in the twos. And then he got older and he fell off. He had years with ERAs in the fours, in the high threes, you know, 2002 ERA of 435, 2003 ERA of 391. And then in 2004, he starts having some of the best years of his career with, you know, ERA of 298, then ERA of 187, then ERA of 230. That is the reasoning for it that he might deserve at least just because he was falling off and he wasn't as good of a player before. And just to keep his career on track, he started taking steroids. Right. He could become who he was in the eighties and the nineties. I don't know if I agree with the thing that you said he deserves it the least. I don't know if you have Sammy Sosa in. I I do. I think Sammy Sosa deserves it the least. But, um, but, but um, we'll get into that later. Um, I'll move on to my next player. I also have Roger Clemens in. Um, obviously a legendary player, but as you said, had a decent beginning to his career. Had a few great years. Not, in the not a decent beginning. He was an right. amazing beginning when he wasn't on steroids. Right. He had a great beginning to his career. Started to age like every other human being ever. And he started pumping the roids and juicing up, 
um, and having the best years of his career north of 40. Yeah. Um, so if I'll go with my next spot guy, um, I got Scott Rowland, um, third baseman primarily for the Phillies. Um, also a lot of years with the Cardinals. Cardinals. But um, Scott Rowland, the thing is, he didn't put up like amazing stats. His best year might have been in 2004. His best year was 2004, when she did have a great year with great stats, batting average of 314 on base of 409, slugging of 598, and OPS of 1007, which that is a great year. But for the majority of his career, he put up, I don't know, I above average might not be good enough, but elite is too good. It's like in between that in stats-wise. And he yeah. did put up very good stats. I mean, even end of career, he has a batting average of 281, on base 364, slugging the 490, OPS of 855, which are, you know, pretty good stats. But yeah. he was a great fielder. Oh, yeah. Eagle he, played Glover for a long time. he played from 1996 to 2012. Great fielder. And I think he does just deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Just yeah. like even you look at Derek Jeter. Did Derek Jeter yes. put amazing stats? No. I mean, no, but he's widely considered one of the best shortstops in our The thing is, people consider Derek Jeter to be one of the best fielders of all time. Derek Jeter was a terrible fielder. Like, I don't think anyone can – does anyone actually consider Derek Jeter just one of the greatest fielders I, of all time? No. I think any logical person thinks Derek Jeter is a horrible people field. People that hear Derek Jeter, uh, Jeter had a people, negative people 162 DRS. People that aren't diehard baseball fans, but casual baseball fans and just, I guess, solid baseball fans right. would would think Derek Jeter. You know, I've seen a bunch of highlights of him. He's right. one of the best players of all time. Negative, 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 yeah, negative 162 DRS, negative yeah. 6.2 UZR per 150. Yeah, and um, he also has a war, defensive war in the negatives. Um, I mean, you, Derek Jeter, he, he, had, he had, you know, flashy throw-on-the-run jump throws that were cool, but as, yeah. An, yeah, as an every-pitch shortstop fielder, he was not good. Right. I want to say one thing. I, I have Scott Rowland on my ballot. I love Scott Rowland. I think he's one of the most underrated players of all time. Eight Globe Glove Awards. 1997 but Aaron Rodgers is better stats than Tom Brady gave. Right, I know. I'm just saying. Um, Roland, Roland beats Jeter in every major hitting stat, other than batting average and on base percentage, which are big stats. But more home runs in nearly 4,000 less played appearances, higher slugging percentage, higher OPS, higher WOBA, higher. WRC plus higher ISO, way higher GRS, way higher UZR for 150, and higher F4 for 162. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a great player. Scott Rowan, obviously, the best years are on the two red teams. 
right. not including oh, the Reds. Not including the Reds. The, the, the Phillies. Me, most of his career the Phillies and the Cardinals. St. Louis. Yeah. Um, well, he did play for the Reds. But oh, yeah, he did, actually. Career. From 2009 to... Two All-Star games with the Reds, but... Gabe, he had two All-Star games, you know. Well, yeah, he had two All-Star games. In one of them, he had just been traded to the Reds and spent most of that year on the Blue Jays. Um, or was that 2009? No, 2010 and 11. Yeah, yeah. So 2010, he had a good year. But, I mean, come on. 2011, you can't say Scott Rowland deserved to be in the All-Star game. It was kind of a farewell situation. Batting average of 242, on base of 279, slugging of 397, and an OPS of 67. Rowland would have been, you know. He played 65 games. He would have almost been on the bench in the last couple years on the O's. Um, right. Like, but, it was a clear farewell situation. Which was even his last year. Kobe Bryant also didn't deserve to be in the All-Star game in his last couple of years. No, but he's Kobe Bryant. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so I guess I'll move on. My next um, one was Omar Vizquel. Um, n- not a great hitter. Not at all. He, he he had some good hitting years. Average to below like, average hitter. Yeah, like two ninety. Um, he he never hit for good OPSs or good slugging percentages. He would hit for good batting averages, but we know now that that's not that valuable. But it was much more valuable then. Um, I'd say he's I he's definitely a Cleveland Indian. Although yeah, for play, sure. He did play for a Played lot. for a lot of different teams yeah. in the beginning of Played the end of Seattle, Cleveland, um, San Francisco, San Francisco uh, Texas. the Rangers, the White Sox, and even had a one-year stint on the – At 45. Team. You'd be like watching some of these players that you think of as players that played in the 90s, and then they were just playing eight years ago in 2012. But we just, right. I mean, we Omar just, played from – Yeah, but we just didn't even realize that they were still in the league. Even 22 to 45. Like, yeah. that's wild. And um, he's, he's basically just in on here because of his fielding. He's, he's a fielding a, wizard, right? Like, I think – He's one of the best fielding shortstops of all time. I think you look at fielding shortstops, I think it's obviously Ozzie Smith. Ozzie Smith. Then I think it's Cal Ripken. Either you, Cal Ripken or Mark Belanger. You think Cal, of Omar Vizquel, though. You think of Armo Vizquel because he was a better player than Mark Belanger. But do you, I have a question. Do you know? Don't be embarrassed to say no. Do you know who Mark Belanger is? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he was a you know shortstop for the O's in like the sixties or seventies, and then um, and like he can he was a terrible hitter. He consistently hit for batting averages in the two twenties, but he's second or third for MLB history in career defensive WAR. Right. So he he's like the shortstop Austin Hedges. He's the shortstop Austin Hedges, but twenty times a better fielder and a worse hitter. Austin Hedges is an excellent fielder. He's an obviously not fielder. great catcher. Mark Belanger right. is a top has the second best defensive war in MLB history. Right, but I just want to point out something. Omar Vizquel, I don't have him on my ballot. Not, not this year. Maybe, maybe in later years. Not this. I mean, year. is this his first ballot? No, it's yeah. like his seventh, I think. No, can't be a seven. I mean, right. he has eleven gold gloves. He has a right. No, I I just want to say he has nine defensive war ever. Right, Omar Vizquel. I want to kind of compare him 
to Angelton Simmons. He's a better player than Angelton Simmons. Right. Let me finish. Angelton Simmons, 2018, I'm pretty sure, at his best year of his career. He was an above-average hitter and was still obviously a great fielder. If Angelton Simmons can have five or six more years like that in his career in the next couple of years, and then he's able to have the longevity Omar Vizquel had and continue his excellent fielding, there's a real case for an Angelton Simmons on. He's not as good of a hitter. Right. Omar Vizquel did hit like 333 in a year. Yeah, Angelton Simmons in 2018. Let me pull it up real quick. I mean, by the way, I guess this is a good time to get mentioned. Quick update. Andrew Simmons just signed with the Twins. Right. Um, I think that's a good signing for them. We've got, that's for another time. Um, but I I just think Omar Vizquel, he, he is definitely a verge. He's definitely one of my least likely ones, but I do think he deserves it. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and also, Andrew Simmons in, in, in 2018 hit two, two, 292, 337 OB, OBP, 417 slugging percentage, which are decent hitting numbers, especially for a fielding wizard like he is. Hit, hit 11 home runs, which isn't great, but he's again a shortstop. And I think. At 28, he hit those numbers. If he can have the longevity Omar Vizquel had, and he can have a couple more years like that, like if he can if he can progress and have a couple years, just a little bit better than 20 his 2018 season, is able to have the longevity and fielding that Omar Vizquel had. There's a real case for an Angelton Simmons. Here's the thing, Gabe. You have to understand this, that when Omar Vizquel played, I mean, it's fair to say his prime was on the Indians. He was on the Indians from 1994 to 2004, so for 10 years. And that time period was still a time period where the, you know, one of the best shortstops in the ML fielding, one of the best fielders in the MLB, but not a good hitter at shortstop was acceptable. Cal Ripken was, I mean, for years and for like MLB hit history, that was the norm, that a shortstop wasn't a, gr- a great fielder but couldn't hit. Cal Ripken changed that when there was this player in the 90s, Cal R- well, 80s and 90s, Cal Ripken, who, um, who, you know, became this guy who was an amazing fielder. I Like I said before, I think he's third in all-time defensive war, who's an amazing fielder, but then is also an insane hitter who's putting up you know, 430 career home runs, consistently hitting well. And you have to remember that even though Armour Vizquel was a bit after Cal Ripken's, you know, best years, at this point, the idea of a shortstop, that's one of the best fielders in the MLB, but a bad hitter was still acceptable. Andrelton Simmons plays in a time where to be an M- well, to be in the MLB, you still have to be able to hit. Right, and Andrelton Simmons has shown he can hit. Not for most of his career. And I know, I know, I know. I am not saying Andrew Simmons has a real Hall of Fame case right now. I am, this is a what-if scenario that if Andrew Simmons can progress a little bit, a little bit, and has the fielding longevity, and people forget this, okay, but, but... is old. He's only going down. He's 28. 
He's, he's uh, 30. He's 30. His best year is when he was 28, but he's 30. If I, I'm just saying I mean, what if, I'm going to keep Crow. saying that. You look at Omar but, no. in 1999, even Omar Vizquel in that one year hit for a batting average of 333 and on base of 397, um, slugging of 436 and an OPS of 833. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a good hitting year. Right. I'm saying if Angelton Simmons can have a few good hitting years like that, like those Omar, Omar Vizquel years, and he has the longevity that Omar Vizquel has. He has a real Hall of, Hall of Fame case, but people forget that a, a big reason why some players completely miss out on the Hall of Fame that people think deserve in, some, people's, some people get in that shouldn't be in, are be, is because of who the voters are, right? There's a good mix right now Hall of, of, of there's a, there's of a, the older, of the older, more traditional stat analyst guys, and there's a good mix of the younger, advanced stat guys. Hall of Fame, who is voting for you on the ballot, is one of the biggest reasons why some people get it and some people don't. The thing is, Gabe. Um, first of all, I want to say there's a big, big movement. That that could possibly happen to wipe out the Hall of Fame voters and make it former players. Um, I think it's a bad idea, but yeah. Let's talk for another time. I'm also not here to argue whether Angelton Simmons should make the Hall of Fame. Right. We can talk about that when he has those good hitting years. Right. If but, he has those. Yeah. Um, I'll go with my next guy, and that's um, Billy Wagner. Mm-hmm. Um, closer primarily for the Houston Astros. Those were his best years. Also even had some good years. Um, he had a couple good years um, with the Phillies and then a couple good years for the Mets, but primarily the Astros. Career ERA of 231, which in itself is amazing, and a career whip of own of own night of Oh nine ninety eight, right? And under one whip. Yeah, when you when you play in MLB for fifteen years and you have an under one whip, I think you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I agree with you. I also have Billy Wagner on my list, legendary left-handed reliever, MLB the Show legend. True, 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 true. Um, just I mean, those stats are just incredible, right? Just off of those two statistics, you can say he deserves to be. Yeah, I mean, you even look at some of his years for the Astros. I mean, really starting in 1999, he had an ERA of 157. He then had an off year in 2000, but then 2001, 273, 2002, 252, 2003, 178. Like, he had many years of an ERA in the low twos and in the ones. Even, you know, in his later years, when people people don't think of Billy Wagner and think of him on the Mets, but even in his later years on the Mets, ERA of 224, 263, and 230. Then he goes into Toronto for a year. To be fair, he has, you know, um, oh, never mind, and has an ERA of 172. His last year, his 15th year in the MLB with the Atlanta Braves. When was the last time you heard of Billy Wagner on the Atlanta Braves? Never. But, in but. that year, in that year, he had an ERA of 143, and that's his last year. His fifth. Right. Well, how many appearances did he make in that year? Um, I mean, that that's he has the he has seven wins in that year. 
for a closer. Right. Which um, wouldn't really matter, but that just shows that he did pitch. Right. So our, uh, I'm going to move on to my next person, Colorado Rockies legend Todd Helling. That's my next person as well. He is one of only 19 hitters since 1900. First, a 300, 400, 500 slash line in a career. Yeah. Spanning at least 5,000 big pieces, right? One of only four to combine 400 total bases and back-to-back seasons alongside Jimmy Fox, Lou Gehrig, and Chuck Klein. Yeah. Six players who own a 316 batting average, 414 OBP, and a 539 slugging percentage. Over 1,000 career games besides Todd Helton. Babe Ruth, Todd Williams, Ted Williams, excuse me, Stan Usual, Roger Hornsby, Jimmy Fox, and Lou Gehrig. Yeah, you know, when you're being put in a category with Babe Ruth, Roger Hornsby, Lou Gehrig, did, sorry, didn't memorize all the people you said in one second, but right. you're in it with the, a category for those people you deserve to be in. One thing you love about Todd Helton is he obviously just shows loyalty. Full year with the Rockies, spent doing some math here not my strong suit but 15 to 1997 to 2013 that's 15 years right Mm -hmm. 15 years with the Rockies his whole career obviously career batting average of 316 on base 414 slugging 539 for an OPS of 953 just amazing and you look at most of the years in his career he had a batting average over 300 which I don't think batting average matters that much but a it used to more and b if you do have a batting average over 300 for most of your career that's still impressive and and you when you're having slugging percentages you know even in the 600s like I mean, look at this. He had one span from 2000 to 2004, where obviously he made five all-star games in a row in all five of those years. And listen to these stat lines. In all five of those years, he had a batting – his worst batting average in those five years was um, 329. Worst slugging percentage, 429. Um, no, worse on base, 429. Worse slugging, 577. And that's his worst. In, right. those, in those years, every yeah. single year he had a batting average above that. Every single year he had right. a yes above 1,000. Add up, add up those, those worst stats of that prime stretch. Yeah. And that's a career year for any, 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 any MLB player. Not obviously not, any, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, a hundred percent. Right, and the the say what you want about the course field effect, but it should not affect someone that much. The child of those numbers, like Larry Walker, right. deserves to be in the Hall of Fame before like, way earlier than his tenth year. Yeah. Um, but say what you want about the course field effect, but if you're if you're putting up those numbers, a stadium does not affect it that much that you are don't deserve to be in the house. And one so. thing is I feel like people undervalue um fielding for first basemen. You look mm-hmm. at Todd Helton, three gold gloves, um defensive war. I know you don't like defensive war, but I disagree with that, so I'm gonna say it. Um defensive war. Ooh, not he didn't have good defensive wars, but um but um, he did win three gold gloves right. and um, defensive runs say um, 
even you just look at it at his career war at 61, but then um, you look at, well, first of all, I just pondered upon this. He did not get paid enough money, but, um, but um, that's what you get for being loyal. Yeah. To, to the um, Colorado Rockies, especially. Yeah. Um, even uh, runs above replacement, um, 644. Um, I mean, yeah, like, Just, he, he was great. He's a, he was a pretty um, good defender. RDRS, defensive run saves above average of 34 in his career, consistently had, you know, in the sixth range um, per year 11. And, I mean, like, fielding percentage doesn't matter. That's stupid. But right. um, Fielding percentage is dumb stat. Yeah. Um, but, um, I mean, yeah, just great player. Definitely right. deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Elite hitter, solid defender. I don't know how he's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But I think Larry Walker getting in last year helps his case going forward a ton. Same with Nolan Arenado when he's eventually on the ballot. Yeah. Well, Nolan Arenado. Well, no. Well, he just got traded. We'll talk about that next episode. But we'll see about that one. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I think Todd Helton's an amazing player. Yeah, I agree. I have one more person that we haven't mentioned on my list. So I have, I definitely have some more, but that's because I think I put more steroids people in than you. Right. I have many Ramirez. So I also have many Ramirez. Right. Debatable if he used steroids or not. I don't think he did. Oh, what? Debatable? I think everyone knows that he did. I, I. Okay, clearly. He's, he's taken. Clearly, clearly you, have conflicted. Clearly, clearly, you haven't watched the documentary Screwball, but um, in it, Manny Ramirez's steroid dealer is like the main character, and says that Manny Ramirez was a one of his biggest customers, and b he was also Alex the Rodriguez's dealer. All right. He said, he said when I have he, conflicting information. He said. He said when Alex Rodriguez went up to him um, to buy steroids from him for the first time, he said, give me what Manny got. All right. I have wrong information clearly here. I knew something was wrong with that. But legendary player, Cleveland Indian, Boston Red Sox for most of his career. Had a lot of weird years with a bunch of random teams. The whole whole thing about Manny Ramirez is – he had some, he had like a good chunk of not as good uh, years. And it's funny how you say not as good years when he's hitting 296 in them. Right. But he was consistently hitting above 300, starts not. So then he goes to the Dodgers and goes to his main man, Anthony Boshi, which is the name of the dealer, and goes, mm-hmm. Want to make me good again? And um, it's his 396. Yeah, yeah. And hits uh, suddenly hits, hits 396. For 63 um, RBIs, nine. Wait, am I looking at this wrong? No, yeah, 63 RBIs. Sorry, I was like, um, just then, 53, yeah, not 63. Um, on base of 49, slugging of 743, OPS of 1232. You know, right? Yeah. In 53 games, he only played 53 games that year, yeah, but 396 over 53 games. Yeah, and, and I think he was also taking steroids when he was on the Red Sox. Yeah, I think but, he was. 
but yeah. um, still great. When he was on the Indians, it's, he wasn't taking steroids, and he had and he had great years. And he had great years. I mean, OPSs of eleven fifty four, eleven oh five. Right. Of over 600. Oh, slugging of 697 in 2000, right? Right. I just think he definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think he's not like – he's not – was not like a great fielder. No, he was a hitting – He was a hitting third baseman. Yeah. Um, he's your – Or right. he, he played for a bunch of random teams at the end of his career. He played for the well, he was Blue good. Jays. He was good on the Dodgers because he right. had taken some of those. Right. He was juiced right. up, but yeah, Blue uh, Jays, White Sox, Toronto, LA, Chicago, and the White Sox all in the same year in 2005. He played for the Rays. I never. He played five games for the Tampa Rays. I didn't realize he was still playing in 2011. Yeah. But, um. Yeah. I think he does. He deserves to be. Even though he took those steroids, I think he deserves to be in. Right. So that's your last one. So I'll that is my last one. You go on with yours. Two more. Um, okay. And- we are recording this right now. Matthew Stafford has been shipped to the Los Angeles Rams. Really? We will talk about that next episode. No, no. But- we will- let me well, talk about this. Really? All right. I-, I need to let it out. Los Angeles Rams. Great trade for the Rams. I yep. don't. Okay. It, it's golf to. Golf to future first and a third. What are the Lions doing? They got Jared Goff on that contract. This is a classic Detroit Lions moment. What are they doing? Oh, my God. They got Jared Goff who's going out and partying, and he's getting paid so much money, and they took that contract, and then the Rams got a pretty good quarterback. The Rams are going to be good this next year. The Rams are going to be good. They finally got their quarterback. What are the Detroit Lions doing? They just took one of the worst, worst, maybe the worst contract in the NFL. Okay. You know what? We're probably going to talk about that more. We'll talk about it more in depth on on Tuesday. God's name are the Lions doing. So back to the Hall of Fame. Um, um, uh, My next one is Andrew Jones. Um, Amazing fielder. Um, Obviously, he was on those for the most part, you know, Chipper Jones, Braves teams. Um, But... Um, most notably, well, his fielding, um, 10 gold gloves. Um, I pulled this up defensive war of, uh, um, career defensive war of 24.4. Um, uh, um, defensive run saved above average. He had in his career 65. I mean, great fielder. You even look at his hitting stats. Um, Career-wise, batting average of 254, on base of 337, slugging of 486, and OPS of 823. Um, even career home runs, 434. And I just think he's good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Ooh. How many more do you have on this one? Um, so after that, I only have one more. All um, right. What's your last one? Um, I think to you, controversial one, Sammy Sosa. Um, <sighs> I just think, yeah, he took a bunch of steroids. Obviously, we know he's a terrible person. And so I assume you watched the documentary Long Gone Summer. Yeah, that was a great 30 for 30. 
Okay, I thought it was an interesting subject, but I don't think it was. I liked it. I thought it was interesting. I think it was done. It was interesting, but I don't know if it was done very well. I think I Sammy Sosa, unlike Mark McGuire, has never admitted to taking steroids. Yeah. Still, like on Long Gun Summer in one of his interviews, he basically said, "I did." Like the difference between him and Mark McGuire is Mark McGuire said, "I did it. It was stupid." Right. Mark McGuire clearly regrets it. Sammy Sosa said, basically said, I did it, and if I played again, I'd do it again. Right. And um, he had 609 career home runs, uh, career batting average of 273, on base of 344, slugging of 534, and OPS of 878. And, um, I mean, obviously, um, he had his year in 1998. Um where he hit 66 homers, obviously. There right. was legendary. Between, legendary chase between him and Mark McGuire. Debatably saved baseball because of... I the, think it did, right? but the sure. The thing is, there's a lot of evidence that it didn't, but um, yeah, he was on steroids. Um, terrible person, but I do th- think he deserves it. So now... Um, so most of the time we put out videos on Friday, but... This time we're getting our Friday video on Saturday. So you can, I guess you can consider this a rare ranking Saturday. First time ever ranking Saturday. Um, but yes, it will still usually be on the Fridays, but we're just putting out a video on Saturday here. And so um, this time we are ranking the top 10 um, uh um sports coaches of all time so yeah I, I think we both had some I, yeah i have a few honorable mentions i'll yeah. kick us off here i think my biggest honorable mention is bear bryant um, uh legendary alabama football coach obviously um just i i just didn't think he deserved to be on over any of these guys that i have on here Rafi, what's your next honorable uh, mention? Yeah, so I also have Bear Bryant, six national championships, held the record for a long time until someone who I'll talk about later, who I have in my top ten, broke it. Um, my next honorable mention, sorry if you guys hear some noise in the background um, for me, but um, there are some other people. Here, hold on. Rafi. <laughs> Sorry about that. But um uh I um I got um my next honorable mention is Connie Mack, uh legendary MLB manager, um five World Series. But it's not the biggest thing with him isn't even those five World Series, it's the fact that he coached for for fifty-three years, forty-nine of which was with the Philadelphia A's. Mm-hmm. And like this, you coach for fifty-three years in five World Series. I think you deserve an honorable mention. Um, you want to go next, or do you have more? Yeah, my next honorable mention is legendary Detroit Red Red Wings coach Scotty Bauman. Legendary coach. Um, the only reason I don't have him in my top ten is simply because. I don't watch hockey. I mean, he leads the record for most wins in NHL history. 
most wins in the regular season, most Stanley Cup playoff wins, and second most Stanley Cups as a coach, player, and executive combined with 14. The legendary coach, just don't watch hockey. Um, same reason I have this next person in my honorable mentions, which is Pat Summit. Um, here, I, I want to say this really quick about Bowman. If that's mm-hmm. right. I just want to say I Bowman's probably top 10, you know, sports coach of all time. I don't watch hockey, so I didn't even have him in my honorable mention, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so here, can I get my next person? Yeah, who's your next person? Same as yours. I think it's legendary women's college basketball coach. Pat Summit. Um, obviously, she won eight national championships. Um, and again, probably a top 10 coach of all time. Um, I just don't watch women's college basketball. Right. Not many people watch women's college basketball. So I don't have her online. Yeah. I mean, over a thousand wins in a 38 year career. So I only have her on my honorable mentions. Yeah. Me too. So I'll move on to my next honorable mention, who's my last honorable mention, but is George Hollis. Um, I felt like he deserved a a shout-out legendary coach. Uh, I just didn't feel like he quite at the top 10 spot. Probably some NFL coaches I probably could have put in the honorable mentions over him. Just felt like he deserved deserved a shout. Um. I didn't uh, have my mind on my things. I just didn't. I just, as I thought, there were a couple of people that deserved it over him. One of which is my next one, and that's Tony LaRusso. LaRusso uh, and um, legendary Cardinals coach, three World Series with them. Just an amazing coach. And yeah, I think he deserves to be on this. Passed uh, away earlier this year. Yeah. Legendary personality legendary moments yeah um do you have another honorable mention i do not okay so i have one more i'll just um say this really quick my next is pat riley um obviously legendary lakers coach um five rings four with the lakers and i just think he mentioned he he deserves a shout out on the honorable mentions yeah all right so i'll move on to my number 10 then, which is legendary New York Yankees coach Casey Stengel. Um, one of the greatest, ba- I think the greatest baseball coach of all time. Um, nine championships as a coach from 40, 1949 to 1960. Two as a player. Uh, well, seven managerial in his 49-60. Two as a player. There are a couple people on my list that I want to say that mm-hmm. did play. Um, but when I talk about championships, I'm just going to say their coaching one because okay. I'm putting this as top 10 coaches of all time. I'm not including what they did as a player. All right. So seven men, seven championships, if you're going by that. Uh, Yankees are the all-time winningest, winningest franchises in sports. Hate them. Hate their guts. Yeah. But – um, had to. Yeah, I have Casey Stengel a little bit lower on my list. 
um, but he will be coming up soon. And I guess I'll say I think that's a very valid spot for him. Um, and I'll talk about him more when I get to him. Number 10 is someone that we all know. And, of course, these numbers, he's still coaching. So these numbers are only going to get higher or only going to get better. My number 10 is Nick Saban. I, I am Nick Saban lower on the list. Yeah, so I have Nick Saban. I think he's the best college football coach of all time. Um, seven national championships, six at Alabama, one at LSU, um, and just consistently has amazing teams. Obviously, we all – it's like we all remember all of the Nick Saban teams, right? right. And you, it's like you remember this year will be the Devontae Smith year. There's the right. Derrick Henry year. There's, you know, the A.J. McCarron year. Um, and we'll just – I just think he definitely with those that deserves it. And just, he's only going to get better. Yeah. I, I haven't lowered that on my list simply because of the fact that he's still coaching. Yeah. Um, that his numbers will only get better. So yeah. I'll move on to line number nine. Bit of a controversial one I have in this high, but it is Don Shula. Yeah. I, I felt like the guys have, keep in mind, there have been thousands of coaches in sports history, Don Shula is a legendary coach. I feel like the guys in front of him deserve it a little more. Yeah. But the winningest coach in NFL history, uh, 347 wins. I think it'll be broken pretty soon by a guy who have way lower down on this list. But uh, legendary coach, coach of the six. Not 16 0, but undefeated team in 1972 with the Dolphins. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Don Shula, um, I guess I, I think I should have had him my honorable mentions. I'm just not sure if he's above the 10 people I have. Like usually, usual, I guess I'd have him as my 10B. But um, my number nine, someone you already had, and that's Casey Stengel, um, obviously legendary Yankees manager. Um, seven World Series with the Yankees as a manager. Um, in my opinion, not the I. In my opinion, the second best MLB coach of all time. My next best will be my next one, number eight, and then we're mm-hmm. done with MLB managers for me. But um, yeah, I think Casey Stengel just deserves it. Um, uh, to be number nine, he's an amazing coach. Like I said before, seven World Series, obviously a lot of championships. And it's amazing. And you know it's hard to coach these Yankees teams, and he did it amazingly. Right. I'll move on to my number eight. It's legendary Celtics coach, Red Auerbach. Um, maybe a little too high, but there will be no Phil Jackson and Greg Popoviches without Red Auerbach. Nine championships with Bill Russell. Uh, right. Team first mentality remains a common reference point for a lot of coaches in today's league. Yeah. Um, I don't think you have Red Arbach too high. I have him lower. Um, no, I mean, Red Arbach maybe deserves a little higher off than eight. Yeah. That's um, what I mean. uh, Yeah, I think he does. But um, I'll move on to my number eight, the person that I think is the best coach of all time, and that is Joe McCarthy. 
legendary Yankees coach, seven World Serieses, just like Casey Stengel. And I just think he's above him just because Casey Stengel, just because he managed the legendary Bronx Bombers teams with Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig. Obviously, you could make arguments that those weren't their best teams and that their best teams were in the 50s with Yogi Berra, you know, the Mickey Mantles. Um, but I do think that – I think that the Bronx Bombers teams were harder to manage because of the personalities. Like right. Babe Ruth was, Babe Ruth was a that was wild easy. guy. Yeah, I mean, Babe Ruth was not someone that was easy to manage. And I think Joe McCarthy definitely deserves um, – definitely deserves – to be considered the best coach of all time in MLB history, and I think he is. All right, I'll move on to my number seven, who is the second best college basketball, men's college basketball coach of all time, John Wooden. Um, I, led, have, I have him lower on my list. Uh, well, John Wooden, uh, eight. 88 straight wins as a coach, which is incredible. Um, we'll never see a winning streak like that again in any sport. Yeah. Um, 10 national championships, including seven in a row. No other team has won even more than four in a row. Just a legendary, legendary bas- yeah. basketball coach. By the way, UConn women's basketball won more than 88 straight games. But Right. I was thinking more of men's basketball, but um, yeah. I have him lower on my list. I think he's the second best college basketball coach of all time. I'll talk about him more when I get to him. Mm-hmm. But my number seven is someone you already have. That's Red Arbach. Um, obviously, legendary coach. Um, one of the best NBA coaches of all times. Um um, obviously, his biggest years were with the Celtics. Um, he won nine rings throughout his whole coaching career. And I agree that there's no Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich without Red Arbach. Um, and I think he deserves to be, on the, to be there. All right. I'll move on to my number six. The second greatest NBA coach of all time, Greg Popovich. I think he's the best. I think he, I think Phil Jackson edges him out just a little bit, but uh, Greg Popovich, I nothing bad I can say about him. Legendary basketball mind, excellent person. Forget basketball, excellent person even without basketball. Five championships, three coach of the years, is coached the All Star game four separate times. Uh, made the playoffs was 22 consecutive years with the Spurs, something like that. Streak was snapped only this year. Yeah, but legendary basketball mind, legendary human being. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and at my number six, I have the person here. Um, I have Greg Popovich lower. So I think I'm gonna put these two together just because I think they deserve it and could lead to an argument. At my number six, I have um, who I think is the second best coach of all time, NBA, and that's Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at my number five, I have, in my opinion, the best basketball NBA coach of all time, and that is Greg Popovich. Mm-hmm. For Phil Jackson, um, I mean, obviously amazing. 
11 rings, six with the Bulls, five with the Lakers, and he has 11 rings, and yet I think his meth, um, his biggest thing is that he coached MJ, which is such a hard thing to do, obviously with that personality, and let alone that MJ considers himself the coach of whatever team he's on, and like, it's such a hard thing to coach right. him, and then it's pretty much uh, the thing with Kobe Bryant. Right, and you can't forget, like, Dennis Rodman. Yeah, yeah. Right, like, Watching the last dance, yeah. I rewatched it a couple weekends ago. Uh, great documentary, by the way. I'm sure you've seen it, but um, yeah, just when Dennis Rodman went on that trip to Las Vegas, basically just said, I don't really want to play basketball right now, kind of like Kyrie Irving did. Canceled yeah. it great, knew his players extremely well. Phil Jackson. I have him lower on my list, so I'm going so, super so then My number five is Greg Popovich. Um, five championships, 22 playoff runs in a row. The only thing is, I just think Greg Popovich is a better basketball mind than Phil Jackson. I agree. And Phil Jackson did what many coaches had done before and did it better. Greg Popovich did something different. Right. Greg Popovich almost changed the game of basketball. He was an amazing basketball mind and like First of all, Greg Popovich might be the best sports drafter in sports history. Like there That's was a great never, point. There was never a real GM for those first teams. I mean, there was, but Greg Popovich. Greg, was, yeah, Greg Popovich like, made the decisions. Greg, Greg Popovich never really had a bad draft pick. I mean, like, and he would, he would just get these. He always gets these like late first round, second round guys that like that just turn out to be excellent. But it's not just that. He always ends up getting these guys that everyone that is go, goes into the draft like as good falls on the board because people have some lame excuse about them right. and just be dramatic. And Greg Popovich is like, I'm not going to be dramatic. I'm going to do the smart thing and takes them and they end up being insane. And right. I'm telling you, five years from now, same thing's going to happen with Trey Jones. Um, but um, but um, yeah, uh, I think Greg Popovich. Did. I think is just the best basketball mind of all time, maybe the best sports drafter of all time. And anyways, I just think 22 playoffs in a row is better than 11 rings. All right. So I'll move on to my number five, which is the only person separating Greg Popovich and Bill Jackson. That is Nick Saban. I have him this, this low down on my list simply because of the fact he is still coaching. Yeah, but... The greatest college football coach of all time. His athletes will only go... In my opinion, I don't think you can take that into account here. Just I, I'm taking that I into think, account. I think that you can – well, I think you can kind of take it into account. but And I guess I'm going to be hypocritical, uh, hypocritical when it comes to my next one, when it comes to my not next one, but a couple ones from now because I'm kind of going to say the same thing. But um, I feel like – I know um, what you're talking about. But um, I, I feel like um, – you can't take that too much into account just because you can call him number five a couple years from now. Can you call him number five right now? I think yes. Okay. We'll um, see, though. And then, uh, yeah, I I mean, look, I think he's a great guy. I just don't think he's deserving to be above Greg Popovich. So then my number four, I have, I think, for a very long time, he was considered the best coach of all time in NFL history and really the first 
great coach in the Super Bowl era, obviously winning the first two Super Bowls, and that's Vince Lombardi. Obviously, mm-hmm. Super Bowl trophy is the Lombardi trophy. Um, and I think that Vince Lombardi is an amazing coach. Obviously, Coach Bart Starr, one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history, or top 15, definitely. Um, and it's just the thing that he was, like, the first great coach, which just puts him there. And then, of course, five championships, including two Super Bowls. Before that, they were NFL championships, not Super Bowls. Right. Um, and, yeah, I think he definitely deserved that. I'll move on to my number four, Phil Jackson. I already talked about him a lot. Yeah. But 11 championships, coached some of the greatest players of all time. Coach in with coach three, in my opinion, top 10 players of all time with Shaq, Kobe, and MJ. Yeah. Right. I see your point. I think it's extremely close between Greg Popovich and Phil Jackson. But I'm a big rings guy and I'm giving the edge to Phil Jackson. Look, I think it's a valid point. I just think Popovich is a better mind, obviously changed the game, and a better drafter, and 22 great teams in a row. But, yeah. Um, so then my number three is someone that you mentioned a little while ago, and I think you had him not nearly good enough, and that's John Wooden. I think he's the second-best basketball coach of all time. If you are if you put together college and professional, I think he's the second-best basketball coach of all time. And um, so then John, I mean, obviously 10 championships, coached Kareem. Well, he was Luau Sindor then, eventually became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, coached him to those national championships. And I think just John Wooden deserves to be here above all the NBA guys just because he did it in such a short span. Like he won 10 championships in what, 11 years, 12 yeah. years, right? Like which is insane. Yeah. I'll move on to my number three. You already mentioned him, but it's Vince Lombardi. Arguably the most legendary trophy in sports named after him. Uh, The first great NFL coach in the Super Bowl era, like you said, won the first two Super Bowls under Bart Starr. Yeah, just a legendary coach. I mean, yeah. And I and an iconic coach too, right? He's great personality. He was a great person overall. Um, yeah, second best NFL coach of all time. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I think he's a great coach. And so my for my number two, I have who now I think is widely considered the best NFL coach of all time, and that is Bill Belichick. Obviously, has coached Tom Brady into six rings, but people think Bill Belichick and think he has six rings. People don't realize that Bill Belichick has eight rings. Right, he won two with the Giants. Two with the Giants. He won two as the defensive coordinator for the Giants, both teams, which he had a big part of, saying that, didn't he coach? He coached on those Lawrence Taylor. Right, he was the defensive coordinator of of those Lawrence Taylor teams. If we're being real, the biggest part of those teams is not their offense. It was their defense. Yeah, obviously. He coached those teams, and that's great. But obviously, Bill Belichick's biggest accomplishment is not for the Giants. It's for coaching the best player in NFL history, who is Tom Brady, or he's the greatest player in NFL history. Um, Obviously, six rings with the Patriots and with Tom Brady – Time and time again, just like the best. 
um, team in the NFL. Like I said before, 18% of all Super Bowls was, was with Tom Brady. Even more of them was with Bill Belichick. Right. Um, which is just, I mean, it's insane. I think he yeah. definitely used to be on his number two. I'll but move on. Um, yeah. I'll move on to my number two. Did this slightly just to annoy you, but Coach K. Coach, uh, my number two, slightly just to annoy you, but I, there's nothing, there's nothing bad I can say about Coach K. I, I despise Duke University. I despise Duke University. I despise their play. Well, I, I despise JJ Reddick. I despise Christian Leitner. I despise Shane Ben. How do you despise JJ Reddick? Okay, just why JJ Reddick. Simply because of what why he did at Duke. I have a question. Why do you hate Christian Leitner? Because he was a dirty player. Hate us because he ain't us. Hate us because he ain't us. You're so annoying. Jesus <laughs> he hates us. Coach Penn, I respect him so much, but I hate his guts, just like the number one guy on this list. Hate us because he ain't us, man. All right. I know you're number one already, so just um, say it. My number one is. Mike Krzyzewski. Um, Any real Duke fan can pronounce Krzyzewski. We don't have to be like the other people that call him Coach K. But um, five national championships. 28 of his players were draft lottery picks. That's not even first round picks. Top 14 picks. 28 of them were were in the lottery, okay? Five national championships. Coach, the best college basketball player of all time and Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner was not even that dirty of a player. People hated him because, because um, he was so good, right? Yes, he had some dirty things. He may or may not have stepped on someone's face. It was a love tap. But, um, but um, okay, Christian Leitner... Um, Christian Leitner also faced a lot of unnecessary hate. Like, I saw a thing that's like... so. Christian Leitner's best friend was um, Duke's um, power forward and someone that was obvious, well, that was just an amazing defender for Duke, Brian Davis. And Brian Davis was a great defender, but his job on Duke was to be Christian Leitner's best friend, not really to be a great defender. Um, and people started calling Christian Leitner gay and saying that he was gay for Brian Davis. And so, you know, the chant, that a lot of colleges do the you know the tomahawk chop like yeah it does it yeah at one duke lsu game the the lsu crowd it was at lsu the lsu crowd didn't start chanting oh oh, oh." they started chanting homosexual sexual sexual like and he faced a lot of ridicule um for no reason, just for being friends with this guy and for being good. Um, but Mike Shefsky, 28 lottery picks, five championships. I could name you so many good players that he coached. He coached Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, Grant Hill. All right, you don't – you really don't have to keep going with this? Um, I don't have to, but I don't mind. Um, um, All right, I'm um, cutting you off. No, I'm going no, to my no, number one. I cannot stand this Coach right K now. Is I'm the go- best sports coach of all time. I'm going to my number one. I'm cutting you off. Bill Belichick is my number one. It was extremely coach. Bias put Coach K at number two. Bill Belichick is at number one. 
seven before this season, 19 consecutive winning seasons, 17 straight playoff seasons, 17 division titles. 17 division titles still stands. He's mastered, Bill Belichick has mastered the art of fielding competitive rosters in the modern era of free agency. 12 regular season wins a season during his 20 years in New England. Coach K has mastered the art of getting... Uh, uh, Ralph, this is not about Coach K. This is about Belichick. Bill Belichick. I have nothing bad to say about Coach K, other than he's the coach of Duke. But 721 postseason winning percentage uh, from 2010 to 2018, Patriots either had the one or two seed in the AFC, eight trade appearances in the AFC championship game. Uh, obviously, six Super Bowls as a head coach, two as a coordinator. Uh, he also helped build a competitive Cleveland team in the early 90s, which was the first good, first good Browns team since the 1960 Jim Browns. But the the biggest mystery about Bill Belichick is his decision to bench Malcolm Butler in in Super Bowl 52. I think that's one of the most interesting things ever in in, in NFL history. He's just such an odd decision. Say what you want. Maybe he threw the game. Maybe he didn't. Maybe you want to bring it out. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, legendary, legendary, but not as good as Coach K. Going to talk a little bit more about Coach K here. Um, uh, um, I hear thing. You didn't even let me talk about this game. First of all, I have a question for you. Why do you hate Duke? Because they have a history of fielding but, dirty but, players. But, they have but, a history of fielding dirty players. Because they're good. No. Partly, but mostly no. Yeah, exactly. Partly, but exactly. mostly no. They have a history of fielding dirty players. Hate us because they ain't us. Okay. Please, just okay. I I respect Duke University. Not really. But, <laughs> I, uh, I, I respect Coach Ken. Gabe, Gabe, here's what I'll say. Okay, Gabe. Um. We don't – people over-exaggerate how dirty our players are. Grayson Allen tripped two people. Christian Leitner stomped on one guy's face, okay? It yeah, was Christian, Christian Leitner constantly threw elbows. It was a love tag. It was not a love tag. <laughs> uh, but Christian Leitner's best college basketball player of all time, obviously known for the shot. Coach Sh- Mike Krzyzewski made four Final Fours in a row, all which with Christian – with Christian Leitner, coach legends such as Bobby Hurley, Grant Hill, Jay Williams, Grant Hill, one of the best um, NBA players, top, top NBA player. Um, and, I mean, I just think he's such so good. I mean, the crazy thing is, over the past, like, years, like, in, I think, 2016, it was, yeah, 2016, it was Grayson Allen's sophomore year. It was the best year of his career. Brandon Ingram, we had Brandon Ingram, we were a four seed. Every Duke fan got pissed off because they said we sucked. 
and yet we were a ranked team that was a four seed. That's how good Coach K's teams are, that people say we're bad when we're a ranked team as a four seed. Granted, this year for the first year in a very long time, we're not Duke a ranked team. Bad. We might not make the tournament, but it's an off year for us. Uh, Rafi's having yeah. some, some... Yeah, um, uh, and then, um, uh, so basically, um, just Coach K is so good, okay? He just doesn't have many bad teams, consistently has one of the best teams in the nation, um, and yeah, I mean... Right. I'm cutting you off. This, no, this wait, is going on too long. Say, this episode is already I, really long. Can I say, no, let me say one more thing, Gabe. Say one more thing. People, so obviously... People started making shirts that say, I still hate Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner's family started putting out shirts saying, I still love Leitner. I am a proud owner of one of the I still love Leitner shirts. And I and I will be an adult. It will be way small on me. And I will have it hung up in my room framed. All right. I'm cutting you off here. This was a, a long episode. Thank you all for listening. Hope to see you next time. Check out our website, allstarsportspod.com. Check out our Instagram at allstarsportspodcast. Hope to see you next time. Peace out. See ya.